0: Chapter Forty Four of The Woodlanders. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ray Smith. The Woodlanders by Thomas Hardy. Chapter Forty Four. Fitzpiers had hardly been gone an hour when Grace began to sicken. The next day she kept her room. Old Jones was called in he murmured some statements in which the words feverish symptoms occurred grace heard them and guessed the means by which she had brought this visitation upon herself one day while she still lay there with her head throbbing wondering if she were really going to join him who had gone before grammar oliver came to her bedside i don't know where this is meant for you to take ma'am she said but i have found it on the table it was left by marty i think when she came this morning Grace turned her hot eyes upon what grammar held up. It was the vial left at the hut by her husband, when he had begged her to take some drops of its contents, if she wished to preserve herself from falling a victim to the malady which had pulled down Winterbourne. She examined it as well as she could. The liquid was an opaline hue, and bore a label with an inscription in Italian. He had probably got it in his wanderings abroad. She knew but little Italian, but could understand that the cordial was a a refuge of some sort. Her father, her mother, and all of the household were anxious for her recovery, and she resolved to obey her husband's directions. Whatever the risk, if any, she was prepared to run it. A glass of water was brought, and the drops dropped in. The effect, though not miraculous, was remarkable. In less than an hour she felt calmer, cooler, better able to reflect, less inclined to fret and chafe and wear herself away. She took a few drops more. From that time the fever retreated and went out like a damped conflagration. How clever he is, she said regretfully. Why could he have not had more principle, so as to turn his great talents to good account? Perhaps he has saved my useless life, but he doesn't know it, and doesn't care whether he has saved it or not, and on that account will never be told by me. Probably, he only gave it to me in the arrogance of his skill, to show the greatness of his resources beside mine, as Elijah drew down fire from heaven. As soon as she had quite recovered from this foiled attack upon her life, Grace went to Marty South's cottage. The current of her being had again set toward the lost Giles Winterborne. Marty, she said, we both loved him. We will go to his grave together. Great Hintock Church stood at the upper part of the village, and could be reached without passing through the street. In the dusk of the late September day they went thither by secret ways, walking mostly in silence side by side, each busied with her own thoughts. Grace had a trouble exceeding Marty's, that haunting sense of having put out the lights of his life by her own hasty doings. She had tried to persuade herself that he might have died of his illness, even if she had not taken possession of his house sometimes she succeeded in her attempt sometimes she did not they stood by the grave together and though the sun had gone down they could see over the woodland for miles and down in the vale in which he had been accustomed to descend every year with his portable mill and press to make cider about this time perhaps grace's first grief the discovery that if he had lived he could never have claimed her had some power in softening this the second on marty's part there was the same consideration. Never would she have been his, as no anticipation of gratified affection had been in existence while he was with them. There was none to be disappointed now that he was gone. Grace was abashed when, by degrees, she found that she had never understood Giles as Marty had done. Marty South alone, of all the women in Hintock and the world, had approximated to Winterborne's level of intelligence intercourse with nature. In that respect she had formed the complement to him in the other sex, had lived as his counterpart, had subjoined her thoughts to his as a corollary. The casual glimpses which the ordinary population bestowed upon that wondrous world of sap and leaves called the Hintock Woods had been with these two, Giles and Marty, a clear gaze. They had been possessed of its finer mysteries as of commonplace knowledge, had been able to read its hieroglyphs, as ordinary writings, to them the sights and sounds of night, winter, wind, storm, amid those dense boughs, which had to grace the touch of the uncanny, and even the supernatural, were simply occurrences whose origin, continuance, and laws they foreknew. They had planted together, and together they had felt, together they had, with the run of the years, mentally collected those remoter signs and symbols, which seen in few, were of runic obscurity. But altogether made an alphabet from the light lashings of the twigs upon their faces when brushing through them in the dark they could pronounce upon the species of the tree whence they stretched from the quality of the wind's murmur through the bough, they could in like manner name its sort afar off they knew by a glance at a trunk if its heart were sound or tainted with the incipient decay and by the state of its upper twigs the stratum that had been reached by its roots the artifices of the seasons were seen by them from the conjurer's own point of view, and not from that of the spectators. "'He ought to have married you, Marty, and nobody else in the world,' said Grace, with conviction. After thinking somewhat in the above strain, Marty shook her head. "'In all of our outdoor days and years together, ma'am,' she had replied, "'the one thing he never spoke to me was love, nor I to him.' yet you and he could speak in a tongue that nobody else knew not even my father though he came nearest knowing the tongues of the trees and the fruits and the flowers themselves she could indulge in mournful fancies like this to marty but the hard core of her grief which marty's had not remained had she been sure that giles's death resulted entirely from his exposure it would have driven her well nigh to insanity but there was always that bare possibility that its exposure had only precipitated what was inevitable. She longed to believe that it had not done even this. There was only one man whose opinion on the circumstances she would be at all disposed to trust. Her husband was that man. Yet to ask him it would be necessary to detail the true conditions in which she and Winterborne had lived through those three or four critical days that followed her flight, and in withdrawing her original defiant announcement, on that point there seemed a weakness she did not care to show she never doubted that fitzpiers would believe her if she had made a clean confession of the actual situation but to volunteer the correction would seem like signalling for a truce and that in her present state of mind was what she did not feel the need of it will probably not appear a surprising statement after what has already declared of fitzpiers That the man whom grace's fidelity could not keep faithful was stung into passionate throbs of interest concerning her by her avowal of the contrary he declared to himself that he would never know her dangerously full compass if she were capable of such a reprisal and melancholy as it may be to admit the fact his own humiliation and regret engendered a smoldering admiration of her he passed a month or two of great misery at Exbury, the place to which he had retired quite as much misery indeed as grace could she have known of it would have been inclined to inflict upon any living creature how much soever he might have wronged her then a sudden hope dawned on him he wondered if her affirmation were true he asked himself whether it were not the act of a woman whose natural purity and innocence had blinded her to the contingencies of such an announcement his wide experience of the sex had taught him that in many cases women who ventured on hazardous matters did so because they lacked an imagination sensuous enough to feel their full force in this light grace's bold avowal might merely have denoted the desperation of one who was a child to the realities of obliquity Fitzpiers's mental suffering and suspense led him at last to take a melancholy journey to the neighbourhood of little hintock and here he hovered for hours around the scene of the purest emotional experience that he had ever known in his life He walked about the woods that surrounded Melbury's house, keeping out of sight like a criminal. It was a fine evening, and on his way homeward he passed near Marty South's cottage. As usual, she had lighted her candle without closing her shutters. He saw her within as he had seen her many times before. She was polishing tools, and though he had not wished to show himself, he could not resist speaking into her through the half-open door. "'What are you doing that for, Marty?' Because I want to clean them. They were not mine." He could see indeed that they were not hers, for one was a spade, large and heavy, and another was a billhook which she could only have used with both hands. The spade, though not new, had been so completely burnished that it was bright as silver. Fitzpiers somehow divined that they were Giles Winterborne's, and he put the question to her. She replied in the affirmative. "I am going to keep them," she said. But I can't get his apple mill and press. I wish I could. It is going to be sold, they say. Then I will buy it for you, said Fitzpiers. That will be making you a return for a kindness you did me." His glance fell upon the girl's rare-colored hair, which had grown again. Oh, Marty, those locks of yours, and that letter! But it was a kindness to send it, nevertheless, he said musingly. After this there was confidence between them, such confidence as there had never been before. Marty was shy, indeed, of speaking about the letter and her motives in writing it, but she thanked him warmly for his promise of the cider-press. She would travel with it in the autumn season, as he had done, she said. She would be quite strong enough with old Creedle as an assistant. Ah, there was one nearer to him than you, said Fitzpiers, referring to Winterbourne, one who lived where he lived. And was with him when he died then marty suspecting that he did not know the true circumstances from the fact that mrs fitzpiers and himself were living apart told him of giles's generosity to grace in giving up his house to her at the risk and possibly the sacrifice of his own life when the surgeon heard it he almost envied giles his chivalrous character he expressed a wish to marty that his visit to her should be kept secret and went home thoughtful feeling that in more than one sense his journey to Hintock had not been in vain. He would have given much to win Grace's forgiveness then, but whatever he dared hope for, in that kind from the future, there was nothing to be done yet, while Giles Winterborne's memory was green. To wait was imperative. A little time might melt her frozen thoughts and lead her to look on him with tolerance, if not with love. End of chapter 44 Recording by Ray Smith, Phoenix, Arizona.